when you think of embattled nations, Israel is in a class by itself. Its past conflicts are legendary, but they're nothing compared to what lies ahead. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah lays the groundwork for the ultimate global showdown that will be fought in Israel, the Battle of Armageddon. Continuing his series, Signs, listen as David introduces today's message, Arming for Armageddon. Well, friends, every day when I turn on the television, I wonder if Armageddon hasn't already arrived. What's happening in Ukraine right now and the awfulness and ugliness of war that is prosecuted by a tyrant is is pretty, pretty challenging. Uh, Obviously, it's not Armageddon. uh, And people ask me all the time, do I think Putin is the Antichrist? And of course, I do not. Uh, the Bible says the Antichrist won't be revealed until after the rapture, and the rapture hasn't happened, so we do not know who the Antichrist is. But the ugliness of what he's doing and the things that are happening in this war are very much in character of Antiochus Epiphanes and the ultimate Antichrist who is to come. So as you watch that war, remember, one day, Perhaps in the not-too-distant future, there will be a final war. And in this one, right will win and wrong will lose. God will triumph and Satan will be defeated. And with the breath of his mouth, the Lord Jesus will win the day. This is discussed in the Bible in advance. We call it prophecy. And we're going to talk about it today. Arming for Armageddon. Uh, Friends, um, during the month of May, we're making available a really interesting resource. The resource is called After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. This book was imagined by some of our um, editors and producers as an opportunity to put into the hands of people who do not know Jesus Christ a reminder of what will take place on this earth after the church is removed and as a motivation for them to become Christians. This is truly an incredible way to witness your faith. And we have these books available now. You can find out more about it at davidjeremiah.org. You can order one or multiple copies of the book from Turning Point and get involved in sharing it with your friends. I hope you will do it. You can have your copy during the month of May for a gift of any size. And I hope you will make that gift and be sure to ask for your copy of the book when you do it. Okay, here's part one of Arming for Armageddon. America is no stranger to war. From the beginning of our nation, we have experienced a major war about every 25 years. Beginning with the War of Independence in 1776, the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World Wars I and II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Persian Gulf War, and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Hardly any generation has ever been able to live their whole life without sending their young to war. The Bible says that there is going to be a final war one day on this earth. That war called Armageddon will draw the curtain on modern civilization. And preparation for that war is taking place right now 
throughout the world. The only thing that's holding back the rapid approach of that time-ending war is the yet-to-occur disappearance of all the true believers in Christ, the event we call the rapture of the church. That could happen at any time, and then within seven years after that, this war will be fought. Now, the preparation for the Battle of Armageddon is a very interesting thing. It begins really in heaven and descends to the earth. In the book of Revelation, in the 12th chapter and the 9th and 13th verses, we read these words. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. If I were to ask you today, where is the devil? Where is Satan? Where is he? Have you ever heard anybody talk about the prince of the power of the air? (laughs) Satan's dominion is in the atmosphere and stratosphere around this world, and he rules and reigns with his minions throughout the universe. The Bible says that there's coming a time when Satan will be cast out of his heavenly domain and down to this earth. It will be in the middle of that seven-year period called the tribulation. And immediately after he comes to this earth, the Bible says he will persecute the woman who brought forth the male child. Now in the language of the New Testament, in the imagery of the New Testament, this is a reference to Israel through whom the child Jesus was born. The woman who brought forth the male child in the scripture is Israel. In the battle of Gog and Magog, Israel will be targeted by the coalition of nations and will be in the end rescued by Almighty God and spared from annihilation. But how many of you know Satan is a persistent person and he never gives up on his first try and he will come back again to persecute the Jews. His purpose in coming during the tribulation period is to destroy the entire Jewish nation before Christ can set up his kingdom on this earth. According to Revelation chapter 16, Satan will have helpers. He will have two other fearful personalities in his plan. Revelation 16:13 says and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast out of the mouth of the false prophet the bible says there is an unholy trinity like there is a holy trinity the holy trinity is god the father god the son and god the holy spirit the unholy trinity is satan the dragon the false prophet and the antichrist And these three, this unholy trinity, will be committed to the destruction of Israel. When the church of Jesus Christ is in heaven and the tribulation period begins, the unrestrained satanic persecution of Israel will lead the whole world to Armageddon. Now where is Armageddon and is there such a place? Let's talk for a moment about the place called Armageddon. Revelation 16, 16 speaks of it like this. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now in our culture today, anything that's a serious crisis usually gets labeled, oh, it's going to be an Armageddon. I've heard football games talked about like that. Oh my goodness, we're going to have an Armageddon out there today. 
it's almost a disuse of the term. Armageddon is mentioned only once in the Bible, and I just read it from Revelation 16. And the word Armageddon is made up of two words. It means har, which is the first part of the word means mountain. Megiddo means slaughter. So the meaning of Armageddon is the mountain of slaughter. The mountain of Megiddo is a geographical location, an actual place in northern Israel. And I stood on the hill overlooking this plain with 600 other people and looked at the vast nature of this place called Armageddon. It is an extended plain that reaches from the Mediterranean Sea to the northern part of Israel. It's 20 miles southeast of Haifa and 50 miles north of Jerusalem. I give you those details just so you know this is a real place. There is a place called Armageddon in Israel. Back in 1799, Napoleon stood at Megiddo before the battle that kept him from conquering the east and rebuilding the Roman Empire. And considering the enormous plain of Armageddon, Marshal Napoleon said, all the armies of the world could maneuver their forces on this vast plain. There is no place in the whole world more suited for war than this. It is the most natural battleground on the whole earth, end of quote. Now, it's important to understand that there is going to be this final battle. It's going to be in a specific place. But this final battle will be centralized in Armageddon, but it will not be contained there. All of the ancient prophets agree that this war, this final war, will be fought throughout the entire land of Israel, even spilling over into other parts of the world. For instance, here are the statements from Joel and Isaiah and Zechariah. Joel says, I will gather all of the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat is an extended area east of Jerusalem, not Armageddon as we know it at all. Isaiah 34 says that my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom. Edom isn't the valley of Jehoshaphat, nor is it Armageddon. It's a different place. And in Zechariah chapter 12, we are told, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. And it's a reference to what goes on during this time. We have Armageddon. We have Edom. We have the valley of Jehoshaphat. We have Jerusalem, which is just a reminder that while the battle of Armageddon will be staged on the plain of Israelin, it won't be contained there. And Zechariah speaks of this, and Joel speaks of this, and Isaiah speaks of this, and Jeremiah speaks of this when he says, and the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. The Bible says that during the battle of Armageddon, during that terrible, awful battle, the flow of blood in the land of Israel will be to the height of a horse's bridle throughout the space of 1,600 furlongs. If you translate that into the terminology of today, 1,600 furlongs is almost exactly 200 miles which is exactly the distance from the northern tip to the southern tip of the land of Israel. Don't ask me to explain blood up to the height of a horse's bridle. I don't understand that, but I will tell you, and you will see this coming forward, this will be the largest gathering of military people in the history of the world by a factor of at least 10. 
Now, if we were to be accurate about the Battle of Armageddon, we would really call it the campaign of Armageddon. Because the word battle in the book of Revelation is the Greek word polemos, which means a campaign or a war. It will be made up of many battles. and It will be fought over a period of about three and a half years. So Armageddon will involve many battles fought through the entire land of Israel over a three and one half year period of time. The third thing we want to ask is what is the purpose of Armageddon? Any thinking person is going to be revolted to think that such carnage like this could happen. What kind of God would allow such a bloodbath to take place in his world? Why will this war take place? What is the purpose of this war going forward? I'd like to suggest to you there are three purposes as I understand the scripture. Number one, to finish God's judgment upon Israel. You say, isn't Israel being judged enough by the nations? Yes, but Israel has rejected her God. This is a time of indignation upon the people of Israel, the people who rejected their Messiah, and time and time again, given the chance to return and repent, have refused to do it. Go back and read the book of Judges again, and you will see it over and over again, no matter what God does to help his people, to honor them, to reach out to them. As soon as the pressure is off, they return to their wicked ways, and this, of course, is in the Bible days. It is no accident that this period in the future that we're talking about is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Why? During this period of time, there will be pain in Israel. While God is protecting her, he is allowing the pain to be felt because she has rejected the Messiah that he sent, even the Lord Jesus himself. And then secondly, while this is going on and Israel is feeling some of this pain, God will be judging the nations that have persecuted Israel. The Bible says in Joel 3 verse 2, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Way back at the beginning of this series in the very first message on the Israel connection, we examined the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. There we learned that a part of God's covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was this. He said, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And history has proven that it has not fared very well for those who have decided to go after Israel God has protected Israel. He has blessed them and he has promised to punish those who curse Israel. Go through history and you can see it. It's over and over again repeated. And it could be in the process of being repeated right now. So on that day, those nations that have persecuted the Jewish people are finally gathered together in the battle of Armageddon, the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there God will deal with them. But remember, all the nations of the world are gathered at this battle. And the third reason for this battle is to formally judge the nations that have rejected God. Revelation 19, 15 says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Look at those last words. He treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. 
Ladies and gentlemen, God is storing up wrath against those nations that have rejected him and that have profaned his name. Nations that have held their fist up to God and laughed. The psalmist says God will have them in derision and the God of heaven will sit in heaven and laugh at those nations that have tried to rebel against him. It may seem as if God is not involved in all of the wickedness of national affairs, but God never forgets, and the Bible says he is storing it up for this particular day. And on this day, the nations that have rejected God will feel the sting of his judgment. So to finish the judgment upon the nation of Israel and to finalize the judgment upon the nations that have persecuted Israel and to formally judge all the nations that have rejected him. That's the purpose of Armageddon. Now let me give you a little bit of the perspective of it. And I'd like to explain to you some things that are important. The Bible says that at the beginning of the period we know as the tribulation, the seven years that come right after the rapture, as soon as the church of Jesus Christ has been taken up with the Lord Jesus to heaven, immediately after that, a period of tribulation begins on this earth called the seven years of tribulation. We talked about a war that's going to take place in the future called the War of Gog and Magog. Remember that? And the Bible says that that war is going to take place at a time when Israel is at peace, when she is no longer engaged with conflict against her neighbors. There has never been such a time, nor is today such a time. But there will be such a time in the future. Immediately after the rapture, we are told that the Antichrist and the European coalition will make a covenant with Israel for seven years. They will come to Israel who is overwhelmed with the pressure on them from the Syrians and from the Iranians and from all of the nations that are around them. And they will say, enter into a covenant with us and we will protect you. We will guarantee your safety. We will protect you. And Israel will be so desperate for peace that they will sign this covenant with the Antichrist for seven years. And there will be a period of time at the beginning of the tribulation when Israel will be at peace. The Bible describes it as a time when they are living in unwalled villages. They will have laid aside their armament for a while to concentrate on building the wealth of their nation. And during that period of time, this battle called the Battle of Gog and Magog will take place when all of the nations will come together in order to destroy Israel. And you remember what happened when that took place, God Almighty got involved and through the convulsions of the earth and the confusion of the troops and the contagion of disease and the calamities from the sky, all of the enemies of Israel were destroyed. And the aftermath of the war was of such a nature that it took seven months for them to bury the dead and seven years according to the scripture, to burn the weapons. That's the battle of Gog and Magog. It is not the battle of Armageddon. And if you're not careful when you read the scripture, you'll get them confused. In fact, I read an article in which someone has taken these two wars and contrasted them. Just listen to it and you will see how different these two battles are. In the battle of Gog, at least five nations are involved. But in the battle of Armageddon, all the nations of the whole world are involved. In the battle of Gog, the invaders will be led from the north. But in the battle of Armageddon, the invaders come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. In the battle of Gog, the purpose of the armies is to take a spoil and to take a prey. But in the battle of Armageddon, the purpose is to annihilate the Jews and to fight against Christ and his armies as they return to this earth. 
In the battle of Gog, God defeats the northern invaders with the convulsions of the earth and confusion of the troops and contagion of disease and calamities from the sky. But in the battle of Armageddon, the armies are defeated by the word of Christ. In the battle of Gog, the enemies will fall upon the mountains of Israel and on the open field. In the battle of Armageddon, the slain will be so numerous that they will come from one end of the earth to the other. In the battle of Gog, the dead will be buried. In the battle of Armageddon, the dead will not be buried, but totally consumed by the birds. In the battle of Gog, the war will continue with other nations involved during the remainder of the tribulation. But after the battle of Armageddon, the swords and spears will be beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks. And the Bible says, and men shall study war no more. There's a vast difference between what happens at the beginning of the tribulation in the first three and a half years and this battle that takes place clear at the end of the tribulation known as the battle of Armageddon. Now we've looked at the preparation for the battle. We've examined the place of it. We've seen some of the perspective of it. Now let's talk about the battle itself. How does this happen? And I'm going to take you through the major thrusts of this war so you can get a glimpse of how this is all going to happen in the future. And there's so much more. I mean, I could preach on this for the next three weeks and I would never get it all covered. So I've chosen the major movements in this battle. Here's how it happens. First of all, there's a deal made between Israel and the Antichrist. We've talked about that already. Daniel 9.27 says, And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, if you're a prophecy student, you know that this is not a week of days, but it's a week of years. One week is seven years. The Antichrist from the European Union will sign a covenant with Israel, guaranteeing peace and security. And on the heels of this covenant, this self-appointed world ruler will begin to strengthen his role in the world. He will use signs and wonders. And as we already learned, there will be a day when it will appear as if he has been shot in the head and has come back from the dead. And through all of this miraculous thing that's happening to the Antichrist, he will begin to arrogate to himself the power that he desires. Daniel 11.36 says, The king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. In Daniel's prophecy, he describes the Antichrist and he informs us of his insidious methods. He says, He shall regard neither god of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. And in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. He shall not act against the strongest fortress with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. Now this tells us that the only God this world ruler really recognizes is what the Bible calls the God of fortresses, which means the God of his own strength, the God of his own might. And through his own power, which he's gathered to himself through this covenant and through the inspiration of Satan who is inspiring him, he brings this power together and he uses his might fueled by his wealth, gold, silver, and precious things. He doesn't even acknowledge the God of heaven, but he blasphemes that God and basically says, I can do what I want to do. I am God and you will do what I say. Hmm. Well, we have to put a bookmark there and come back for the finish tomorrow. Um, but uh, in between, let me remind you that in the war that is going on right now in Ukraine, God is at work in ways that um, you may not be aware of. Franklin Graham, a wonderful friend of mine, has set up a, a medical post in Lviv. We have 
been privileged of the Lord to give a, a large chunk of money to that project. And they're helping the people um, medically who are trying to flee the country and those who've been injured in the war. A wonderful, merciful project. I'm so proud of Franklin and what he's doing. And um, as I mentioned to you uh, on Monday, we are now uh, televising Turning Point in the Ukrainian language in Ukraine. And uh, we have gotten some notes back from the first week. Uh, we premiered this program on Easter weekend. And uh, during the rest of this month, I'm going to share a couple of more of those testimonies, what God is doing through his word in the war-torn country of Ukraine, even as we talk about the war-torn battle of Armageddon. We'll see you next time right here. Thank you so much for listening, and we appreciate the opportunity to teach. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you looking for a simple way to talk with unbelievers about the end times? This month, for a donation of any amount, you can receive Dr. David Jeremiah's newest book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. And for $40 or more, you can receive two copies of this book to share with unsaved friends. Or for a generous donation of $85 or more, you'll also receive an additional booklet and DVD to help you refresh your knowledge of the end times. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to get your copy today. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Charles Kettering, an American inventor and engineer, held 186 patents for inventions. He once said, if you want to kill any idea in the world today, get a committee working on it. I understand what he meant. Committees get a bad rap from almost everyone. But I tend to think God invented committees to teach us about life. What is marriage? 
but a committee of two, and a family, but a committee of three or more. Anytime we are forced to work closely with others, we have to learn patience, generosity, humility, problem solving, and forgiveness. So ask God to help you learn from the committees in your life. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's life lessons on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.